Do you remember the first story that was so spellbinding that it drove you to break the rules and stay up all night? To keep reading, keep listening, keep playing? So good you forgot your life and lived there? So good that the moment it ended you asked yourself, what next? Welcome to the floor. Our goal is to take you back, take you deeper, to explore and understand more, and relive that childlike wonder. Join us as we dive deep into humanity's greatest stories, no matter how they are told, through books, movies, television, even games. One of us does an in-depth research on our topic. One of us is familiar with the topic. And one of us knows nothing. So the right questions will always be asked and will be addressed for anyone coming into the topic, regardless of how much you know. Enjoy another world another adventure, another spellbinding story. Join us on the floor. Welcome to the Floor Witcher Season 2 Edition. We are diving into Episode 3, and if we could fit it in, also Episode 4. But before we get into those, uh, Eli, our Know Nothing, is watching the episodes after we cover them here. And so he's brought his questions from the previous episode, Episode 2, that uh, he didn't get answered and didn't quite follow in that. And the first one was, how did Eskil get cursed? Uh, so we know that he fought the Lechi, wasn't able to kill it, he cut off its arm, and there is a sore on his right shoulder where he's been wounded by the Lechi, and the best guess is that is where the curse comes from. Now, part of not understanding this is that this is a different kind of Lechi, and... Mm-hmm. It is unlike anything the Witchers have ever encountered, so they don't know. And over the course of the next couple episodes, they're going to be researching this to try and understand it. So, like I said, we can guess that it's the injury on the shoulder, but at the at the core of it is this is a mystery to the Witchers that they're going to try and start solving. And I guess part of my part of that was uh, Geralt gets injured by Eskel in Lichy form, right? But it, it's not. Yeah, dressed at all, you know. So I was like, okay, it's new. Okay, I understand. Um, and then you did point out, well, actually, I'll let you explain this part, and then I'll dive into what we know. So in uh, the first episode of the season here, at the very end, they mentioned that uh, true love brings apart the most powerful magic. And uh, that reminds me of, you know, when Geralt makes his wish and how angry... Yennefer is a him and you know maybe for her if he made the wish you know that that's not true love that's that's just magic robbing her of true love the most powerful form of magic which she covets almost more than love right powerful magic mm-hmm. or what if it is real you know and, and I think it creates a interesting uh, dichotomy there of you know if True love is the most powerful form of magic, and he made that wish, you know, makes that question of, did he, is that what he wished for or not in that moment? I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah, not knowing the exact phrasing of the last wish uh, definitely is always going to raise questions around that relationship. Yeah, because we don't know what he wished for. But we do know that it saved her life. All right, so let's jump into episode three. Quick summary here of some of the events here. Uh, Siri begins her training as a witcher at Kaer Morhen. 
and Lambert and Cohen coax her into more difficult training, and she ends up bleeding all over the ground as she's taking these injuries. Vesemir is going to study Eskel's body, uh, and then him and Geralt will give the body to the wolves. Uh, this is new, and I thought it was kind of a good addition creating this kind of ceremony for the witchers of the School of the Wolf to feed the body of a dead witcher to the wolves. At the same time, I think this was kind of reckless of them. Eskel was infected, and they don't understand it, and it's very possible they could infect these wolves. So I, oh. I, th I think as a general ceremony, I think this is a good idea. I think the specifics of Eskel's death make it a bad idea. And I think they would have seen it that way. Be like, we don't understand this. You, the wolves can't have it. We burn him. I, when you said the wolves, I'm thinking of like a house or something. And uh, like with the wolf mark. Uh, oh, no, no, no. Like you can shoot literal wolves. Okay. Yeah, wild animals. Yeah, coming out to eat them. Okay. Uh, Yennefer returns to Eretuza, uh, where there is a meeting of the Brotherhood. And uh, Vilgefortz, along with Tessaia, are planning to take over leadership of the Brotherhood using some of the the mistakes made that led to Sodden as a as a reason why they should be in leadership as opposed to Strigobor and some of the others in in power. Um, and they want to attribute the victory at Sodden to Vilgefortz, not Yennefer. Now, this is an interesting change Netflix made because in the books, Vilgefortz actually is the hero of Sodden. So and. Vilgefort, uh within the books, and we'll see. And it, it seems like this is more so in in the in the Netflix series so far, as we understand it. Yennefer is very possibly the most powerful mage ever, uh, but in the books, this is definitely Vilgefort. Um Okay, and he so he's a powerful mage. He is a powerful mage, but like I said, this you know he he hasn't had a lot of screen time yet. And so we don't know how they're playing that. Is it that they don't know how powerful he is? Or is Yennefer actually more powerful in the Netflix series? I, we don't know how that's going to play out. Um, so, and then Strigobor infiltrates uh, Yennefer's mind. And because that's a huge violation of how they mages are supposed to interact with each other, he will lose his position there, which opens up the door for Tessaia and Vilgefortz to take over the Brotherhood. Um, and then Francesca, the elf, makes a deal with Fringilla, the Nilfgaard mage, uh, that the elves will join Nilfgaard uh, in their battle with the Northern Kingdoms, and in return they are given Sentra as their home. And then uh, Geralt realizes... Those was the uh, elves that uh, visited Baba Yaga with Yennefer? Yeah, the three, the, three, the three mages visit Baba Yaga. Francesca, the elven mage, Fringilla, the Nilfgaard mage, and Yennefer. Uh, Geralt realizes Suri has a connection to this weird Leshy and has her help him track it and they kill it. And then uh, Yennefer uh, frees Kahir, who is the Nilfgaardian winged helmet guy. He's actually in charge of Nilfgaardian intelligence. And the two of them flee to Sintra to get her magic back. So they, they're hunting down more Leshy, like for the Leshy. So the Leshy that infected uh, Eskel, they hunt it down. Okay, okay. Yeah. Trying to get some answers. Trying to get some answers, yeah. Okay, so for the first time we get Lambert and Cohen. We've seen them, but this is where they're first mentioned by name. 
so Lambert uh, is in in the Netflix series. He's the redheaded Witcher, um, and he often like he he's rude. He's got a bitey tug. Like when he meets Triss Marigold, he calls her Marigold, and he calls her that because she doesn't like it. She prefers to go by Triss. He knows this and does it on purpose. His father wasn't full on butthead. It's awesome. yeah, he's a full on butthead. Yeah, his father was an alcoholic. Got lost one night near a Neckerden and was saved by a Witcher. That's how he ended up being traded to the Witchers. Uh, he is crass. He's offensive, and he just doesn't care. Honestly, the way Eskel is presented uh, in in the Netflix series is very much who Lambert is. So, and then Cohen. Cohen is Lambert's friend who shows up. Now, Cohen is not actually a member of the School of the Wolf. He is a member of the School of the Griffin. But he shows up with Lambert at Kermorin uh, for the winter, and the um, so I, if you notice on him, he's got some pox scars on his face, uh, which is a disease most people get in childhood, and it indicates that he became a witcher later in life than most witchers did, um, and we don't, or at least we haven't gotten that story yet either in the games or the books or Netflix, but it may be something they go into. Maybe being introduced late, his body had a bad reaction to one of the mutations. Uh, no, more like uh, if he had gotten the mutations at the normal ages of witchers, he wouldn't have gotten the disease because he'd been immune. But it's more like, it's very possible, but maybe as a teenager, he sought out the witchers to become one. Um, and he was older, already had the disease and was scarred by it before they took him. So... It's but uh, yeah, those scars indicate that he's something is non-traditional in his Witcher training and upbringing. Gotcha. Okay, so there is a um, interesting moment here where Vesemir is trying to study Eskel's body, and Geralt really pushes him to leave it be and just put Eskel to rest, which is something I remember should disagree on. Everyone recognizes there was something different about this Leshy that it could infect him. And these are witchers. They study it. Like, you play the games. It is all about studying your monster. And Geralt is essentially removing one of the pieces they can study, Eskel, for that. And so I think it really doesn't fit the witcher's nature to study their monsters, to contribute to their tomes, uh, for them to just take his body out before they're done studying it. Um, so I just thought it was an odd moment that didn't fit the character or or the or the culture that they chose that they had Geralt do that okay uh Vilgefortz of Rogavin um so he is uh I guess somewhere between black middle eastern skin colored he's got the long black hair that's who we're talking about um as i said in the books he is by far the most powerful mage but he was never traditionally trained he grew up with druids and then when he was old enough, he actually left to become a spy. And then when that uh, collapsed, he became a bandit. Uh, and it was just on his own during all of this time that he developed his magical gifts. Um, and then at one point, he decided to go to the Brotherhood and see if they would allow him in. And he had enough mastery of his magic that they would allow him into the Brotherhood. And then as we can see, he's going to eventually rise to the top of that. Uh, there's a lot more to Vilgefortz that I can't go into without going into spoilers. So it's kind of just a light touch on 
kind of his prehistory, but he's integral uh, to the story of The Witcher and a lot of what is going on and what will continue to happen. So even though so, he's had kind of a minor role, he will become a much bigger character. So is he a Witcher or is he... He's a, he's a mage. School of mage. Okay. Yeah, so but he didn't go... He comes in late. Yeah, he didn't go to any of the schools. Like we see Yennefer picked up probably, you know, somewhere in her teenage years, uh, you know, trained at the school and everything. Never had any of that. He he taught himself how to use his magic. Gotcha. And then Kahir we met before. He was in season one. He's the one who hired the doppelganger. He, uh, you know, he is the, the knight with the winged helmet that Ciri has nightmares about. Um, so he is originally from Nilfgaardian royalty. He is the head of uh, Nilfgaardian intelligence. Of course, we do know he is hunting Cirilla. And again, there's a lot more to Kahir, but we won't go into that without spoilers. Although he doesn't consider himself Nilfgaardian. Uh, he is from a different uh, territory that was conquered by Nilfgaard. And mm. that, that, is where he, that is the nationality he still considers himself. So just an interesting twist there. So actually, let's take a break here, and then we'll go right into episode four. So it looks like we will be able to fit them both together. Okay, so we have been mentioning at the end of our episodes recently about the treasure room, how, as Aaron likes to describe it, and before we go deep into things, but in the treasure room, we kind of go wide. And we wanted to give people who have never been in the treasure room uh, a little bit of a sample. So going forward, we'll probably be uh, putting in little bits and pieces here. So here is a small clip uh, from the treasure room. We hope you enjoy it and are interested in uh, learning more in there. I was thinking she'd have like the best retort ever if someone was trying to blame her for stuff. She'd just be like, like who? Who? <laughs> who? I saw you with that person. Who? Welcome back. We've been talking about The Witcher Season 2. We just talked about Episode 3. We were going through some of the characters, talking about the differences between the TV show and the books. Uh, we're now going to be talking about Episode 4. Uh, Joe, where do you want to start? So let's let's go over a quick summary of events here in Episode 4 before we start diving into our lore points. Um, Triss arrives at Kaer Morn to uh, help with... Suri's magical powers. Uh, they study the Leshy and the kind of residue that's left. Uh, and it, like, so when they fight it at the end of the previous episode, it splits. So they study, like, the split off version as well. Because, yeah, it's like, I've never seen that before. And mm -hmm. because the split version hunted Cirilla specifically, they think that a mage is behind it. Like, a mage is hunting Cirilla. And that's why it went straight for her. Uh, when she touches the residue, it's that black residue that the obelisks are made out of, uh, she has a vision of the wild hunt hunting her. And that is when Geralt is uh, sent off to speak with an expert on the obelisks. Is the wild hunt the winged helmet? No. The wild hunt are a group of uh, spectral people 
uh, it's a spectral army that's actually in another dimension. And every once in a while, the, I guess, veil between our dimension and their, well, I should say the continent's dimension and theirs thins enough that they will actually swoop in and steal people to serve in their army. Um, I think I saw this in Lord of the Rings. You think you saw it? Yeah, the dead left Lord of the Rings yeah. to, to swoop so, in. They're actually just the Nazgul. We're going to learn a lot more about the Wild Hunt, but in this episode, you will even see a, uh, a, I guess, a doomsday caller in the middle of a big city warning that the Wild Hunt has returned. I just made a connection. Isn't there a Witcher game, The Wild Hunt? That's Witcher 3, baby. The Wild uh, Hunt. Okay. I thought that was just hunting monsters in the wild. No. Okay. The Wild okay. Hunt. Well, you so, see that too. So yeah, so usually the story is, I guess the, the story start about the wild hunt is there would be these great storms with red lightning. And then people would see these clouds that almost looked like marching soldiers. Uh, and then people would disappear uh, in these storms, never to be seen again, no body, nothing. Um and so it's hard to say exactly how they, we end up with more information that there actually is a spectral army stealing people. Now, initially they, I, and maybe I should have mentioned this, that it's in another dimension. But, uh, so it does seem like there's this ghost army stealing people to fight and serve in this army. And that is what they know the Wild Hunt to be, this spectral army that steals people to serve. Okay. Um, Dude. Do they roam a lot, or are they kind of in a certain area? Uh, it moves across the continent, right? Oh, okay. get these storms. So they, they move around a lot. They move around, yeah. yeah. Um, so as for Yennefer, um, after the elves ally with Nilfgaard, then uh, the northern kingdoms turn on them, and so we see like some elves being like locked up by the northern kingdoms. Uh, this is a reaction to, you know, the fact that the elves have joined Nilfgaard and so the Northern Kingdoms don't trust them anymore. Um, and Yennefer and Kyir are trying to make their way south. They seek out someone called the Sandpiper to help them escape and discover this is Yaskir or Dandelion. And then they board a ship headed towards Sintra. And then we will briefly meet... Well, who's the Sandpiper? Uh, the bard who follows uh, Geralt in, in season one. Yaskir. Oh. They call him the Sandpiper now. So that's that's like his code name for the pe person who helps him escape to uh, Sintra. Oh, okay, okay. So we're gonna briefly meet a character named Dykstra and uh, Philippel Iheart. So Dykstra is the spy master for Radania, and we will see that he is not that interested in the welfare of the northern kingdoms but only in rodania's welfare um so i'm not sure you've brought up it's a nation rodania so it's one of the northern kingdoms rodania yeah okay okay it's uh ruled over by uh king vizimir the second so dextra like i said he's the spy master for rodania um he started out as a commoner uh and began as a spy, uh, just a low-level spy in Novagard. And uh, when he discovered that uh, Michael Denolis, who was the noble put in charge of the intelligence and spy operations in Novigrad, um, 
that he had just done a terrible job and that Nilfgaard had all kinds of spies everywhere and, you know, just the, the terrible state of everything. So he writes a letter to the king and sends it to him. And when the king reads the report and all the details, he's furious. And immediately Dijkstra is promoted. So he takes over a lot of the spy operations in Novograd. He rebuilds like the entire spy network and kicks out and, and imprisons a lot of the Nilfgaardian spies. And he just slowly grows in influence until he is essentially the king's closest advisor. Now, because he's a commoner, the king uh, tells him that he has to introduce himself as a count because otherwise it just would be unacceptable for someone to be that close to the king who wasn't a noble. So he does introduce himself as Count Dijkstra uh, to to anyone, but he's not actually a count, and both he and the king know this. Now he has a he, he's his left hand he, in a yeah. in a backdoor business and a shady business he's yeah. in charge of. All the secrets, all that. So he has a romantic relationship with a sorceress known Philippa Eilhart. Uh, there's a, not a lot I can go into her without spoilers, uh, but I will point out that she is one of the very few sorceresses or sorcerers that can polymorph, and her preferred shape is that of an owl. And so you will see Dykstra talking to an owl fairly often, and that's him talking to Philippa. And finally, we will have the introduction of Finnaue, which is the plant that uh, in the books and in the games, it only grows in a place called Dol Blathana, where Laura Durin died. Uh, that's Ciri's ancestor, the last place they knew of the Elder Bloodline. Um, but so, wait, hold up. Okay. Uh, so, I know we saw the doppelganger earlier, but I don't think we've really seen people do shape shifting before. Right. So, Philippa Eilhart will shapeshift. Like I said, it, it's very rare, even among people with magic, and she's one who can do it, and she often okay. will shapeshift into an owl. But this is kind of like a special gift, yeah. not just magic training. Not, not just magic training, yeah, it's a special gift beyond that. Okay, okay. Okay. So, within the Netflix series, instead of all these special flowers only growing at Doblathana, the el ancient elven fortress... They grow wherever elder blood is spilled. Um, and so the witchers used to have a stockpile of this, and they would use it to make witchers, but it was destroyed during the fall of Kermorn. But now that it's growing from Cirilla's blood, they can make more witchers. Now, like I said, this is a deviation from the... Uh, books and games where they lost the knowledge to do it. Yeah. Um, whereas here, they just they lost access to the plant they needed. So with this, they can once again begin making witchers. Something I find interesting, because you mentioned that with the flower, but now I'm remembering uh, Baba Yaga is quoting the prophecy, uh, talks about the Elven blood spilling, uh, mm. which means for this prophecy, these these flowers would be in plenty, and maybe that is more so what the uh, what would bring about this prophecy is having an overabundance of these flowers. Not necessarily that the blood needs to spill, but that these flowers would need to grow. Just some something I was thinking about when. Yep. Yep. Um. 
yeah and so uh that's it so next time we'll have you like come with his questions from episode three and four and hopefully we'll be able to get episodes five and six in and then seven and eight and that should catch us up to season three which is coming out on the 29th so all right so hopefully we can have all of that ready for you we're gonna try to rush these out and so that we can just jump right into season three with us y'all yeah and uh, so uh, we so in in season one we talked a lot more about the story within the episodes, whereas now we're trying to focus more on lore points that you're not going to get just from watching the show, so that we're giving you, you know, that that deep lore we promised in our intro. Uh, so let us know about your thoughts. If you want us to maybe spend a little more time discussing the the plot uh, and maybe helping you pick out things maybe you missed, or if you do prefer more of the the lore dives that we're doing here that are like a, and a little appendix to the episode. So let us know. And as always, we uh, hope you were floored now. Go floor your friends. <laughs>